studied some together and decided that there wasn't any group of people teaching what we were reading about in Scripture. And so we uh, opted to join a large denomination in which I had been reared. In 1964, however, a young group, a young, a young campaign group from Abilene Christian College at that time came to Erie, Pennsylvania and knocked on the door of a young mother who had a year and a half old boy and was expecting twins as my wife. And they taught her the gospel. They asked her, could they talk to her about Jesus? And they taught her the gospel. And when she saw what they were teaching, she knew it was the truth. And she obeyed it. But she didn't tell me. But on Sunday of that week, uh, she got up to go to services. And I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to church. And I said, well, I'll take you. And she said, but I'm not going to the denominational group. I said, where are you going? She said, to the Church of Christ. All I could think about was people rolling on the floor, and I didn't know what was going on. I'd never heard of the Church of Christ. When we walked into that building that morning, I got the shock of my life. My 26-year-old cousin, same age I was, was a member of that congregation and had been around me for 26 years and had never told me about the church. I think he was more embarrassed than I was. I hope he was. After I listened to them for a while, I figured out what was wrong with that group. I wasn't a member of it. And so I was baptized into Christ. And how excited I was. And the first Sunday I was in the church, they asked me to lead a prayer at the Lord's table. And so I got up and I said, Father, we thank thee for thy son and for his, son, his body broken on the cross for us. I remembered 1 Corinthians 11, this is my body broken for you. It's about the only verse I knew besides the ones that helped me to obey the gospel. And right after I got done with that prayer, when service was over, she came after me. And she let me know in no uncertain terms that no body of Jesus' body, no bone of Jesus' body was broken. And why would I dare say that? Now, I'm a brand new Christian. I've been in the church exactly one week, and she's jumping on me. And brothers and sisters, that's not an unusual experience for converts. Because when we come into the church of Christ, it's almost as if we're expected to be perfect from day one. And it hurts us. I heard some other preaching that confused me. And I, if you're here tonight and not confused about this, God bless you, but I was. I heard the preachers telling me that I had to grow in my Christian life. I had to get better each year. I had to become a better Christian. And that confused me. I knew what 1 Peter 2, 2 said, and if you want to look at that with me, it says, Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So I knew the Apostle Peter was interested in Christian growth. In fact, when he wrote his second epistle, right at the last verse of 2 Peter 3, he says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I knew that Peter was teaching that we should grow. But I couldn't figure out why I was growing. If, if, if I'm growing, what's the purpose? Well, the way I was hearing it was that I was supposed to become perfect so that I could go to heaven. And I got confused because I read in my Bible about God's grace. 
and about his forgiveness. And yet I was hearing that I needed to grow and become closer and closer to Christ every day of my life. For what reason? In fact, I got so confused and so discouraged that I was thinking about quitting the church. And I want to help us tonight study what I studied to help me get over that thinking that says I'm not good enough to go to heaven. And I'm not talking to you tonight if you're not interested in being like Christ. I'm not talking to you tonight if you're not interested in obeying Christ. I'm not talking to you tonight if you're trying to take advantage of God because you can't do that either. But I am talking to you tonight if you've been confused about this. Am I good enough to go to heaven? Why am I growing in Christ? Look at 2 Peter 3.18 with me. And the only way I know to approach this subject is from a negative standpoint. I'm going to suggest... Uh, six things that growing in grace is not to help us understand what it is and why we're doing it. But this verse says, it's a command, grow in grace. Oh, what a wonderful word that is, unmerited favor. God didn't need to forgive me, didn't help him any. He told us through the psalmist that if he were hungry, he wouldn't tell us. But it's the case that he did have that kind of grace and he did intend to save me. Now he says grow in it. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Think with me for a moment. Growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is not inherently connected to the fact that I'm a Christian. I have been baptized into Christ. And I did so on my confession of my faith in Christ and my willingness to repent of my sins. A man immersed me in water, and when I came up out of that water, I was a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Look at that verse with me. If any man be in Christ, does it say he is becoming a new creation or he is a new creation? What does it say, brothers and sisters? He is a new creation. Look at Colossians 2.10 with me. Paul told the Colossian brethren, ye, and these people were having some problems there incidentally, are complete in him. He didn't say you were becoming complete. Now how am I going to harmonize that? Peter says grow. Paul says you're complete in Christ. Getting confused, you see. Grow, but I'm complete. Well, I was baptized. Now, when I came up out of that water, what was I? An incomplete Christian? Paul said I was a complete Christian. You know, if you hit a fellow over the head with a sledgehammer right then, he'd go to heaven. He'd go, I mean, he'd go to paradise. He'd go directly to paradise, same one you're going to if you've been in the church 40 years. Don't you remember he said if we hire you at the first hour or the 11th hour, you get the same pay? Is that man a Christian or not when he comes up out of that water? Somebody answer my question. He is a Christian. Well, I'm trying to become a better Christian. What's better than a Christian? Let me think now with you. You're trying to become a Christian Christian? I have a friend who lives down in Mississippi who has what he tells me is a hound dog. Now, he should be an Deutscher. I'm a German. I know what hound means. It means dog. This guy's got a dog dog. Are we trying to become Christian Christians? Think with me tonight. I know it hurts. 
especially you guys that graduate from school preaching. I know thinking hurts, but think with me a minute. Why are you growing? To become a better Christian? How you can't get any better than a Christian? See how confused I was? Am I a Christian or not? If I've been in the church five minutes or 500 years, am I a Christian or not? When I come up out of that water of grave of baptism. So why am I growing? Confusing, isn't it? It wasn't before I started this sermon, but it is right now, right? Well, I know what it is, Brother Mosher. If I grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God will love me more. No, he won't. Look at Romans 5, 6 through 8 with me. Look at Romans 5, 6 through 8 with me. Watch what this says. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For whom? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, and perhaps for, uh, or scarcely, for a righteous man, scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. Watch this. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to make a statement now. You can challenge me if you want to, but God loved me as much as he's ever going to love me before I ever became a Christian. That's what that verse says. I'm not trying to earn God's love by growing in grace or becoming a, quote, better Christian. I can't earn it. It's there. It's what he is. He offered it to me and showed it to me on the cross before I ever became a Christian. I was in a grocery store one day and I heard a lady say to her child, Now, honey, if you'll be good, Mama will love you. Now, I'm not prone to want to slap women in public. But I had the deepest desire to walk over and crack her one on top of the head. If you'll be good, Mommy will love you. I love my children, good or bad. So does God. You can't earn God's love. It's growing in grace is not about love uh, from God. He loves us. No doubt about it. He showed us that on the cross while we were yet sinners. For God so loved the world, the sinful world, that he gave his only begotten son. And so I'm confused now. Why am I growing? I'm not earning God's love. It's there. Well, let's read 2 Peter 3.18 again. Maybe we can figure this out. But grow in grace and in the knowledge. That's what it is. I'm supposed to know more and I'll become a better Christian. You believe that? I don't. I know some folks that know the scriptures as well. They know their names and they're not good people at all. Let me illustrate that for us. Back in the late 1800s, there lived a man named Nietzsche. Nietzsche taught that there was no God. He claimed to be an atheist. He doesn't anymore claim that. He's on the other side now and he knows that there's a God over there. But Nietzsche was challenged to a debate by a Baptist preacher. And they began to correspond back and forth. The, they were, the preacher challenged him about the existence of God. Nietzsche wrote a letter to this gentleman. He said, sir, do you believe that baptism is in order to the remission of sins? This preacher wrote him back and said he did not. Nietzsche said, well, then you don't believe the Bible any more than I do. Why do you want to debate me? Nietzsche knew what the book said, but he was an atheist. 
Knowledge alone and in and of itself won't help me be better unless I react to the knowledge and do something about it. So it's not necessarily the case that the more Bible I know, the more I'm going to be pleasing to God. Well, I tell you what, Brother Moses, this growing in grace, I know what it is. It's when you get busy for the Lord. You just got to be busy. You've got to be doing something. Let me show you some busy people who were not in God's grace. If you look at your Bible in Matthew, the sixth chapter, I want you to meet some people who were so busy that they even announced their busyness. They would sound a trumpet and tell everybody, we're about to pray. And they were busy praying. Then they'd sound a trumpet and say, we're busy giving alms to the poor now. And they would let everybody see how busy they were. We had a guy at one congregation where I preached that was as busy as you could be. He was even busy during the assembly. Out, he was out in the foyer showing people where the restroom was and the water fountain and all this sort of thing. He was, really, he was forsaking the assembly and, he was right, assembly and he was right out there in the foyer. But he was busy. Busyness is not necessarily what God has in mind when he says grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Some people get busy about physical things around the church. And then they think that that makes up for the fact they've never taught anybody the gospel or tried to. Busy? That may not be the inherent nature of growing in grace. Just being busy. Well, Brother Moser, I know what it is. If you'll get right with God and grow in grace, you'll be successful in life. You know, you hear that taught on television all the time. If you want to hear that doctrine, turn on the Trinity Broadcast Network and listen to those preachers that are the name it and claim it preachers. And if you send in enough money to them, you're going to be financially set for life. Did you know that? You plant enough seed with God and you're just going to reap it, according to their teaching. In other words, you're not right with God if you're not successful financially. Something wrong with your Christianity. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3.12. Keep following me, brethren. We'll get there in a moment. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will be financially successful. Is that what your Bible says? No. You know what it says? It says, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It might would be that you lost your job in order to become a Christian. Great. Wonderful. Sometimes preacher students call me and say, Brother Mosier, I got fired. I say, wonderful. Think about what God's got in mind for you now. Well, you might be going overseas as a missionary for all I know. Because if you live godly, somebody's going to persecute you. If you've never been persecuted, check your Christianity. So success in life is not necessarily connected to the fact that I grew in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The last point, and this is the last negative point. Brethren, we're not trying to be perfect. And yet some people have that in mind. I have met people who tell me, you can't know you're saved until you die. If that's the case, I don't want their Christianity because that's not what my Bible teaches. My Bible says at 1 John 5, 13 that I can know I'm saved right now in this life. Can you know you're lost? If you can know you're lost, you can know you're saved. It's that simple. And all you have to do is do what God told you to do. But becoming perfect, that's not what God expects. 
Nobody is sinless. 1 John 1, 8. Nobody is sinless. 1 John 1, 10. But everybody who is a Christian is confessing. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, help me out, folks. I'm confused. Peter told me to grow. Paul said I was complete in Christ. I hear preachers saying I need to be perfect. What's the problem? I think I'll quit. I can't solve this dilemma. And the reason is I'm a German. You know why Germans are round-shouldered, Bob? When you ask us a question, we go. But when, you know why we're so flat-headed? Because when you tell us the answer, we go. You want to know the answer to the dilemma? It is so simple that when I saw it, I screamed out to Dorothy, Eureka, I found it! Look at 2 Peter 3.18 with me. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Watch it now. To him be glory, both now and forever. Do you know why I'm studying my Bible? Do you know why I pray and why I go to worship? Why I try to teach people? It gives my Father glory. It gives my Father glory. That's what it's all about. He saved me. He made me a Christian. I owe Him that glory. It's His. So I don't preach to give Keith glory. I preach to give Him glory. I don't pray to give Keith glory. I pray because he is so glorious. Listen to him. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, it's thenceforth good for nothing. Be cast out and drawn underfoot of men. You're the light of the world. But a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel stick. But on a candlestick it giveth light to all that are in the house. Watch him now. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. What's the rest of that? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you know why the... That's Matthew 5, 14 through, 13 through 16. Do you know why the Church of Christ exists in Oxford, Alabama? To give the Father glory. That's why we were created. Look at Revelation 4.11 with me. Find out why you're on this earth and do something about it. Thou art worthy, O Lamb, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy good pleasure are they created. For God's good pleasure. When Isaiah spoke about God's glory, he said, that the beasts of the field were made to honor God. Isaiah 43, 20. Look with me at Isaiah 43, 7. Isaiah 43, 7. That's in the Old Testament, Bob. Isaiah 43, 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, I have made him. What do the heavens declare? The glory of God. Where can I give God glory? Listen carefully. The only place on earth 
where I can give God glory is in the church of Christ. Ephesians 3.20 To Him be glory in the church. World without end. Amen. And Isaiah said, this is Isaiah 42.8 I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not share with another. Neither my praise to graven images. I know why I grow now. Not to make me better. He already made me a Christian. But to give him the glory. He saved me. I owe him. If you have your New Testament with you, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. John was so aware of this situation in the church that he described it this way. This is 1 John 2, and I'm going to start reading from verse 12. He says, I write unto you, little children, that's everybody in the church in that verse, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Whenever John the Apostle became quite aged and infirm, they carried him around on a cot so that he could preach. And he preached the same sermon everywhere. Little children love one another. And they asked him on one occasion, and said, John, why do you keep preaching the same sermon? He said, it was the Lord's command. He says, little children, your sins are forgiven you for his namesakes. Now, now watch what he does in dividing up the church into three groups. He said, I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because you have overcome that wicked one. I write unto you little children, because you have known the Father. When I first came into the church, I might have known six verses, and that God had saved me. That's all I knew. I was one of those little children, but I was a member of the church. And then I started learning the Bible, and I'd go in and say to the preacher, where does it say such and so, so I can argue with my friends at work? I was one of those young men. I was strong with it. Boy, I wanted to know what the Bible said, you know. I remember a sister coming in my office one time, and she says, Brother Moser, what do we believe about? And I said, well, what does the Bible say about it? She just wanted to use it to argue with her neighbor. Well, that's that young man, you know, that's the way he is, all excited and wants to argue with it. But eventually, when we grow correctly, watch what happens. He says, I write unto you fathers because you know him. And when you know him, you give him the glory. And so I figured out why I was growing in grace and in the knowledge of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was to give my Father in heaven his due. How many times do you suppose God has been slapped in the face? By negligent, indifferent children of his? They sing, oh, how I love Jesus on Sunday morning, but you don't see them Sunday night. That's a slap in his face. How many times do you suppose the Lord has been slapped in the face by negligent and apathetic elders, deacons, members, preachers? 
And all the time, His love is there, His grace is there, and we're to give Him the glory for it. Every prayer in Scripture, brothers and sisters, starts with praise to God Almighty. I have never seen a prayer that started, Father, thank you for the day and the many blessings. See, that's selfishness. That's talking about the things we got. How about some glory to Him? You remember how the Master taught us to pray? Our Father which art in heaven, what did He say? Hallowed be Thy name. The Old Testament patriarchs learned this lesson the hard way sometimes. Even having to wrestle with deity. So that they would learn who gets the glory and who doesn't. Mankind has never understood this, generally speaking. On one occasion, God decided to eliminate all of mankind except for eight people. We teach it as the great flood, and that's right. But I doubt very much if we understand the lesson. Before the flood, Genesis 6, the Bible says that man's heart was on, man's imagination was on evil continually. But after the flood, the Bible says man's imagination was on evil continually. Nothing changed. Of chapter 9 of Genesis, Noah goes out and gets drunk. And one of his sons commits some terrible act of sin. Nothing changed. Why? Because the flood can't change mankind. You could destroy every man on the face of the earth except one, and there'd still be a sinner here. More prisons and more laws and more whatever will not ever change the world until the world understands that it is to give God the glory by doing what God told it to do. And God's grace demands that. And so I lost my confusion and understood that my father was saying, the more you do, Keith, the more it gives me the glory. Because I'm already saved, already a Christian, have already received his love, can't earn it, but it's there. Thank God. Give him the glory. When you get down on your knees tonight, give him the glory. Some in this room with, the, with this many people here tonight are not probably not Christians. Do you know why he wants you to become a Christian? Because it gives him glory. I want you to look at one other verse with me. It's in the first chapter of Ephesians. I want you to see what God sees when he sees his people. He wants us to know this also. He says that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. That ye may know what is the hope of your calling. Watch what he says now. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. If you'll underline that word inheritance, it's the Greek word for trophy. Anybody here ever won a trophy for something? Christians are God's trophies in the battle with Satan and sin. And Christians and people who become Christians give God glory. 
Let me tell you why, you'll, why you will sit there during the invitation song. Simply because you've never understood what it was that God did for you. You never understood what great grace it took to do that. What great graciousness it took to do that. And you have never found it necessary to give him the glory for saving you. Or wanting to save you. Put that in your heart tonight. And come to him in his way for his reason. Repent of your sins. Confess the name of his son. Let someone immerse you in water for the remission of your sins. Give him the glory before it's too late. While we stand, while we sing.